Hello. Welcome to this ninth installment of Lex Machina's free, uh, uh, Future of Law uh, webcast series. Today's webcast uh, will cover the, embracing, uh, the issue of embracing digital transformation in the legal profession. My name is Owen Bird. I'm the Chief Evangelist and General Counsel here at Lex Machina. For those that don't know, Lex Machina is a provider of legal analytics, which assists lawyers in the business and practice of law by uh, providing analytics in different uh, litigation categories uh, to enable lawyers to graph data-driven decisions on top of traditional research and reasoning to increase the odds of uh, getting the case and winning the case. I'm delighted that our special guest for today's Future of Law webcast is Dennis Garcia, the Assistant General Counsel at Microsoft. And Dennis, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Well, thank you so much, Owen, and thank you so much, uh, Lex Machina team. I really appreciate this opportunity. So just a, a little bit about me. Uh, again, my name is Dennis Garcia. I'm an Assistant General Counsel for Microsoft. I'm actually based in Chicago. I am not based uh, in our uh, Redmond, Washington headquarters where uh, a good majority of our uh, Microsoft legal uh, department is based. Uh, but I am a lawyer supporting our U.S. field um, sales, marketing, and operations team. I am our lead lawyer on our U.S. field team uh, for our digital transformation work supporting our enterprise uh, services teams and also our readiness team to make sure that uh, our, my teammates uh, on our uh, team of about 40 plus legal professionals uh, have the, uh, the information and, and practices they need to, to, to best support uh, our uh, business clients. And I'm also leading a unique initiative on behalf of our U.S. field team where we're trying to build uh, deeper relationships with members of the legal and compliance community at our customers. So uh, in-house counsel, outside counsel representing our customers, also uh, compliance leaders such as chief information security officers and chief privacy officers. And we have been participating in a number of external events to build a deeper connection and relationship uh, with them. So uh, Owen, uh, thanks again for this opportunity. Sounds like we have the right expert online. Well, let's turn to uh, the discussion. And again, we're going to look at it, the issue of embracing digital transformation in the legal profession. And Dennis is going to walk us through uh, three digital transformation technologies and tools, cloud, computing, uh, data, artificial intelligence. We'll look at some uh, key takeaways from each of those technologies and tools for the legal profession specifically. So Dennis, take it away. Great. Thank you so much. And uh, I'd like to start off with this uh, interesting quote from our Microsoft CEO. His name is Satya Nadella. Satya became CEO a little bit over four years ago. And like lots of new uh, CEOs, uh, Satya sent out a, uh, an email, a company-wide email to all employees talking about his vision for Microsoft moving forward. And in that email, uh, it contained this quote where he said, ours is not an industry that respects tradition. It only respects innovation. And of course, Satya was talking about 
the information technology marketplace. But as I thought about this quote more and more, I really do believe that it's equally relevant to our own profession, uh, the legal profession. Uh, I think more than ever before, especially as technology uh, advances so quickly, it's important for lawyers and legal professionals to be open to using legal technology to provide even better and more high impact uh, legal services to their clients. We have a, a phrase we use a lot in Microsoft known as digital transformation. How do we provide technologies to our customers so that they can uh, be more competitive and they can also uh, better serve uh, their, their customers? And uh, as we know, we've entered into a very uh, new era uh, in our society called the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Revolution. There's this uh, book written by Klaus uh, Schwab called the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Mr. Schwab is the founder and executive chairman of a group known as the World Economic Forum. And of course, this, this, this group meets once a year in beautiful Davos, Switzerland. It's comprised of business leaders, world leaders, uh, and they get together to talk about uh, some of the, uh, the, the, the bigger issues, uh, pressing issues uh, in our world, in our society. And in this book, which was published about two years ago, it's Mr. Schwab's view that we've entered into this new era called the Fourth Industrial Revolution, where we're going to be seeing rapid change in advancement in innovation, which we have never seen before. And Mr. Schwab focuses on three key areas. The first area of advancement is going to be in the physical space. And we're seeing that already with um, uh, innovations with robotics and 3D printing and connected cars. Talked a little bit about some of the innovations in the biological space. And we're seeing that with uh, some of the breakthroughs uh, in the DNA uh, area with pharmaceuticals. And then he talks about some of these interesting technologies in the digital space. And that's where I really want to focus uh, my, my talk today, as Owen mentioned, on, on these three um, um, compelling uh, digital uh, spaces. The first being uh, cloud computing, the second being uh, the rise of big data, and then number three, artificial intelligence. And so when I think of the cloud and cloud solutions, I think there's uh, terrific opportunities uh, for entities uh, to collaborate better uh, by using cloud-based solutions and also to be more cyber secure, assuming they're working with a highly trustworthy cloud services provider. When you think of data and big data, I think there's opportunities for legal departments and legal organizations to gain great insight uh, so that they can better serve their clients. And when you think of artificial intelligence and also known as AI, and of course that, that space is uh, continuing to evolve, I think there's interesting opportunities for legal organizations to use AI solutions to really achieve more. But let's talk first okay. about the cloud. Yes. Dennis, let me uh, jump yes. in and obviously say from Lex Machina's point of view that one of the additional benefits uh, beyond collaboration and insights and achieving more cybersecurity is at least in a litigation context, um, you know, the ability to increase your odds of winning a case. 
Uh, yes, I mean, and that, that makes uh, a lot of sense. I know uh, Lex Machina and other uh, leading providers have a terrific tool out there, uh, especially in the predictive analytics space, right, uh, to help uh, lawyers and legal teams uh, engage in, in probably smart risk-taking, right, uh, to try to get uh, more data and more facts as to what's the likelihood of, uh, let's say, if you're in a litigation context, what's the likelihood uh, if you're involved in a dispute for you to prevail or not to prevail, and that information may inform you as to whether or not you want to move forward with that litigation or perhaps if you want to settle uh, uh, that particular matter. So, yes, without a doubt. Um, well, let's so, move um, on to your first example, uh, which is cloud computing. Cloud computing, yes, absolutely. And so when you think about the cloud, uh, and I, I go back to uh, when I first worked on my um, a primary cloud computing deal with a key customer in the Chicago area. That was uh, nine years ago, back in 2009. And the point being is that uh, cloud computing has evolved to a highly mature technology. We're seeing the cloud market continue to grow exponentially. There's lots of uh, uh, cloud computing um, providers out there. It's become sort of a crowded cloud computing market uh, if you will. And um, from my perspective, and of course I'm biased being the Microsoft lawyer, um, I think the time for um, organizations uh, to move to the cloud if they already haven't done so really is now because I think there are lots of benefits in moving to the cloud to help legal organizations to collaborate better uh, with each other, to collaborate uh, better with outside counsel to be more cyber secure, assuming you're working with a trustworthy cloud services provider. And there may also be a number of uh, costs and economic advantages in moving away from a traditional software licensing on-premises environment to a cloud computing environment uh, where the, uh, the pricing is based upon uh, a subscription fee model. Um, in the Microsoft legal department, um, as, as you probably would expect, we are a very large uh, legal team. We have over 1,400 legal professionals scattered throughout the globe. And in many respects, we're like a large law firm and it's incumbent upon all of us to be able to work well together, to collaborate uh, in a seamless way. And the Microsoft legal department uses our flagship software as a uh, services uh, cloud product known as Microsoft Office 365 uh, to achieve more, uh, quite frankly. And this is a slide uh, which I uh, leverage uh, from, from a, uh, uh, an IT leader named Matt Wade, uh, which contains the so-called periodic table of Office 365, where you could see uh, the depth and the breadth and the range of various workloads or solutions which are part of the Office 365 uh, solution set. I wanted just to spend a little time going through some of the uh, uh, workloads which the Microsoft legal team uses every day uh, to collaborate, to achieve more, and to really better serve our uh, valued business clients. The first workload which we use uh, as Microsoft legal professionals each and every day, uh, which is part of Office 365, is something known as Skype uh, for business. It's pretty much, uh, in my perspective, 
uh, the backbone workload, which legal professionals at Microsoft constantly use because we need to constantly connect and communicate uh, with each other. I remember when a new lawyer uh, joined our offices in Chicago about five years or so ago, and he told me, Dennis, um, you know, I like my office, I like my, uh, my, my laptop, this is great and everything, but uh, where is my phone? You didn't give me a phone. Uh, he used to work at a law firm, so he was expecting to have a phone at his desk. And I said, you know, in the Microsoft legal department, in the Microsoft all up, we don't have landline phones. Instead, we communicate uh, through our unified communications uh, system known as Skype for Business, and we, in essence, speak into our uh, devices, our Surface devices, or we'll use a headset, headset and that's how we uh, uh, communicate. So if you're using Skype for Business, you don't need any landline phones. When you're on a Skype for Business call, you'll know instantly who is participating uh, on the call. You can actually see their name. You can see their number. Um, it's very easy to understand uh, who, who's on a call. For so many years, I've been on conference calls, and I had no idea who was on the call. But now that I use Skype for Business, it's easy to, uh, to see who's involved in the call. There's very rich instant messaging associated uh, with Skype for Business. So I have to connect with my colleagues across the United States and also colleagues outside the United States. And I can see whether or not if they're online, if they're in the office, if they're on vacation, if they're on a conference call. So there's rich instant messaging uh, features. It's very easy to set up a Skype for Business call. I don't have an admin. Uh, who I can rely on, but just by uh, a few clicks, I can set up a Skype for Business meeting uh, very quickly. I can also project out my screen. A lot of uh, my time and my colleagues' time is spent on shaping and negotiating contracts with our customers and partners. So I can project out my screen and folks can see uh, the contract or the, the, the matter which we're working on and we're able to collaborate uh, very seamlessly. And then finally, Skype for Business allows legal teams to work uh, in a very virtual fashion, makes remote work very easily, easy. Another key workload we're using constantly uh, from Office 365 is OneNote. Um, I go to so many legal conferences uh, across the United States, and I'm constantly seeing lawyers taking notes with traditional uh, legal yellow pads and, and, and pens, right? Uh, and I, I constantly tell them that you should think about digitally capturing your notes, and you can do so uh, with OneNote. So, like for, for, for me, for instance, I'll uh, type in my, my, my notes via OneNote, uh, or I'll use the stylus on my Surface device. And what I find is that by electronically capturing uh, my, my notes, I can then send it to my colleagues. I create a, a, a very sophisticated and involved tab system. Uh, on OneNote so I can keep track uh, of my notes. It's a very high-powered po uh, note-taking tool. Another workload which we're constantly using uh, in, in Office 365 is something known as OneDrive for Business, sort of your, your virtual briefcase, uh, your briefcase in the cloud. And so uh, I will store all of my documents in the cloud on OneDrive uh, for Business, my PowerPoint uh, presentations. We're able to work together as a team uh, to send uh, our files to each other 
uh, and then we can collaborate collectively to make edits uh, through OneDrive for Business. We also use OneDrive for Business as a way to, uh, to share information with our outside counsel. Another oh, Dennis, uh, very powerful... Dennis, yes. now that you've... Um, I, I'm not surprised that the Microsoft legal team uh, makes full use of the entire suite of Microsoft products. Um, and now that you've given us some examples of those, like Skype and OneNote and OneDrive, let's talk a little bit about uh, how you're working internally and some of the platforms and, and tasks you're able to perform. Sure. Um, and just a few examples. Um, one area which we're able to, to using our, our, our products is we have uh, another workload in Office 365 known as SharePoint uh, Online. And you'll see here in this uh, picture, uh, we've created a portal uh, known as CELA Web. It's a self-help portal uh, for our business clients. CELA is an acronym known as Corporate External and Legal Affairs. That's the, uh, the name of our uh, Microsoft legal team. And what we've done is we've used SharePoint Online uh, to provide FAQs and self-help materials directly to our business clients. So our business clients can go to this portal and get common um, uh, issues which come up uh, answered, uh, FAQs, uh, common issues which come up with our salespeople, for instance, on how to respond to uh, questions from customers in the area of privacy or regarding proposals or requests for proposal documents. They can go to this CELA web site and it serves as sort of a self-help um, mechanism for our business clients. And what we have found is that by using this tool uh, and directing our business clients there, it has saved up a lot of time for Microsoft legal professionals to do more mission critical uh, work for them. On the next slide, there is another example as to how we're using SharePoint online uh, where we've created, created a dashboard known as GSMO Sales Connect. And so what this dashboard's all about is it contains lots of important and rich information that legal professionals uh, at Microsoft in the field working with our customers need, such as uh, our annotations uh, to our standard customer contracts, uh, fallback provisions to our, uh, our, our contract terms, um, other uh, information which our legal professionals have at their fingertips, if you will, to be able to, uh, to do their jobs. So when we have team calls, we'll record the calls and we'll post it on this site and then uh, they can listen to it uh, on demand. So we've, we, we, we've been using these tools as a way to be more efficient and more collaborative. A final way, uh, in another example, final example as to how we use Office 365 is a workload known as Microsoft Teams. This is a newer, workload in the uh, uh, Office 365 suite of products, and it's uh, really an alternative to email Microsoft Teams, where uh, it's, it's based upon um, creating uh, teams of, uh, of people uh, on your particular team, or maybe you want to create a team uh, regarding a particular subject matter. And what Microsoft Teams allows you to do is to uh, chat and connect with each other in sort of a modern uh, way of uh, communicating. And you can post and store documents on Microsoft Teams uh, on various key subject matter areas, which are highly searchable and which you can get access uh, to uh, in the future. 
So those are just some examples as to how uh, we use Office 365 to achieve more in the uh, Microsoft legal department. But one of the key points I'd like to leave to all of you is there's a number of, I know I focus, of course, on the Microsoft uh, product, Office 365. There's a lot of great cloud computing products out there. But I think it's important that when you're looking at cloud solution providers, that you really also want to spend time doing some thoughtful due diligence and evaluation of cloud providers. Because after all, they will have access uh, to your important data, to your customers' important data. So you want to make sure that uh, they're highly trustworthy. This slide shows a, a framework uh, which you may want to use in, pot in potentially evaluating cloud services provider and providers. And this framework is really based upon four key areas. First is security, data security. You want to make sure that uh, you get uh, uh, your information techno technology and security uh, folks involved in understanding uh, the practices which a cloud services provider is taking to protecting uh, your data in the cloud. Perhaps uh, you may want to see if you can do a tour of one of their data centers to understand that in, in more detail. You also want to spend some time understanding uh, who owns uh, the data. Of course, the cloud provider should be clear that you retain ownership to, to your data and that they can only use your data uh, to perform their cloud services. You may also want to drill down in the area of compliance and ask a cloud services provider, what are you doing to enable a, a customer to meet their own uh, compliance needs? What sort of certifications or laws are they complying with? And I think a final key piece of this framework is transparency. You want to understand, um, you know, how, um, how are they using your data? Where is your, da your data located in their cloud solutions? Are they very clear to you with regard to, regarding their, your cloud business practices? And hopefully that's a helpful framework which you can use to evaluate potential cloud services providers. Um, so pausing there for a second, uh, we'll be moving from cloud computing to, to data. And Owen, I'm not sure if you have any thoughts or questions for me. No, that's a, a terrific overview of the cloud and, and, and why and what you can do. And I know at the end of the webcast, we'll be talking about how to embrace these transformations and, you know, take everything from baby to big steps to, uh, to integrate them into law firm or corporate law department activity. Uh, so thank you for that overview of the cloud and the examples uh, from the Microsoft products and how the Microsoft legal team is using them. Let me um, mention to our audience right now that there is an online uh, question vehicle for you to use if you want to pose questions to uh, Dennis or to me. Uh, feel free to do so and we'll add those in. But now, Dennis, let's uh, turn from the cloud to uh, data. Sounds great, uh, data. And, and I love this slide and this phrase that data uh, is the new oil. I'm sure many people have heard this phrase in the past. But uh, I think one of the key points is, that, at least in my experience, I think data is an underutilized asset uh, by legal departments. And uh, there's lots of uh, uh, great benefits associated with, with using data. So let me just share some thoughts in this area. Um, one, um, another aspect of Office 365 is this uh, 
a, a tool known as My Analytics. And what this is all about is um, every week uh, uh, I receive a report out uh, from uh, the My Analytics tool, which shows uh, how I am uh, spending my time from a, a calendar uh, uh, perspective. Uh, how many emails am I sending out? Who am I sending emails to? Uh, who's the uh, person I'm communicating uh, via Outlook and Office 365 most frequently? Who am I not communicating with so frequently? So I get this report out every week. And to me, this is some interesting information and data uh, because it can inform me uh, as to how much time am I spending in calls and meetings? How much time am I spending uh, outside core work hours, let's say answering email or on conference calls? Uh, maybe it'll give me some information about people I haven't uh, connected with for some, quite some time and perhaps I should reach out to them. Uh, so it's information like this in terms of how we're communicating and collaborating with each other, which can inform us and can change our ways of working so that we're more uh, efficient and we can uh, uh, better serve our clients. I think when you're thinking about data, um, uh, there's also some interesting opportunities to use data and, 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 and learnings, especially when in-house legal departments are working with their outside counsel to help them think about how should they best shape uh, their billing arrangements with outside counsel? We came up at Microsoft with an announcement almost a year or so ago, um, and this was an announcement from our Microsoft corporate uh, VP and Deputy General Counsel, David Howard, where over the next two years or so, we're striving to uh, move, uh, I think, 90% of uh, our, um, our spend with our large law firm partners to alternative fee arrangements or sort of fixed fee arrangements, if you will. And I think we're seeing more and more in-house legal departments who are really trying to get more value uh, from their outside counsel and are trying to push them to these alternative fee arrangements. And I think there's great opportunities both for in-house legal teams and outside counsel uh, and private law firms to be able to use data and analyze how that work has been done historically to develop some more um, impactful and compelling uh, alternative fixed fee arrangements, uh, which makes sense both uh, from the law firm perspective and also from the in-house counsel customer perspective. When you're thinking about data, I think there's also some terrific opportunities to leverage and, and get lots of data and gain more knowledge through social media. Over the past several years, I've become uh, a, a bigger social media enthusiast, uh, if you will. This is a slide which shows the, uh, uh, the, the Twitter uh, account of our uh, Microsoft uh, President and Chief Legal Officer, Brad Smith. Brad is an active user uh, on Twitter. I have become an active, more active user of Twitter and also LinkedIn over the last uh, uh, few years. And from my own um, practice, uh, I find that there's a wealth of knowledge and information on Twitter where I'm learning uh, a bit more about the uh, technology marketplace or about Microsoft or about uh, various law firms or privacy or some of the bigger issues uh, in the legal industry. And I feel like I'm more well-informed uh, when I have this uh, access 
to uh, to data, which I'm gleaning on Twitter and also on LinkedIn uh, as well. So I would encourage folks, if they're not already using LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, use these social media platforms to really embrace the growth mindset and learn more uh, about your customers, your partners, uh, other lawyers, uh, and be able to build relationships with people uh, through social media. Um, as we mentioned earlier, um, there are some terrific tools uh, out there, uh, especially in the predictive analytics space, which uh, provides great information and data to enable legal organizations to engage in more smart risk-taking uh, opportunities. Uh, so I think there's um, um, uh, just incredible amounts of uh, appetite to be able to, to leverage big data to get smarter so uh, legal organizations um, can better serve uh, their clients. So those are some thoughts on data. I also have one more point on data. As we uh, know that uh, in our legal profession, there's much more we could probably all do to advance and to uh, increase diversity and in, in inclusion uh, in our profession. And uh, I think data can also be used to inform legal departments as to how they're doing or perhaps maybe not doing so well in the area of diversity and inclusion. So I would encourage uh, legal organizations to, uh, to, to really use some metrics and, and take stock in their organization regarding uh, how they fare from a diversity and inclusion perspective and that if you can measure uh, your diversity and inclusion progress over a period of time, hopefully you'll be able to, uh, to see some thoughtful improvement. And as the management guru, Peter Drucker, uh, has said, what's measured over a period of time certainly improves. Um, so those are some thoughts on the, uh, uh, the, the opportunity associated with legal organizations using data. Terrific. Well, we've covered cloud, we've covered data, and now we'll get to the hottest topic, it seems, in both technology and these days in legal tech, which is AI or artificial intelligence. Let me also uh, renew the offer to answer people's questions. We've gotten one, uh, we've gotten a couple of questions so far, and I just want to let those folks know there was a question about how to get help, uh, a couple of, uh, a question about uh, a specific MS uh, Microsoft Office use. Uh, case, and we will be answering those questions. Uh, but first, we're going to run through a couple of these uh, thoughts about AI, uh, specifically AI in the law. Dennis? Sounds great, Owen. Thank you very much. Uh, so, uh, yes, no doubt AI is a very hot topic uh, uh, in, in the legal profession right now. I like to say that it's really AI all the time because we're seeing big technology companies like my company and other companies really invest heavily uh, in the AI space. Uh, but we also do know that uh, AI in many respects, especially mature uh, AI solutions, that it's really in its early stages, very much in its infancy, if you will. I, I like to use this analogy, and I'm a big baseball fan, uh, that as many of us know, uh, baseball is a game which is played over nine innings. I do believe that we are in the early innings, really the first inning uh, when you're thinking about from, from, from an AI perspective of the horizon and the potential uh, of AI. So we're at the early stages of AI. Uh, from a Microsoft perspective, we are seeing a number of our customers, whether it's financial services customers, healthcare customers, 
um, uh, retail customers really starting to, uh, to, to come to us and looking for uh, uh, AI solutions from Microsoft. And so we're seeing a buzz throughout all industry sectors uh, about how AI can help uh, uh, various industries really digitally uh, uh, transform. I've added just a few examples of some customers that we've worked with over the last before you few get months. To those yeah. Before you get to the, the larger examples, I do have one question about this slide. It struck me mm -hmm. that legal is not on here. Why do you think that is? Yes, that's a, I think it's an excellent question. Well, from my perspective, um, you know, lawyers and the legal profession, as many of us know, have been uh, traditionally conservative uh, when it comes to using leading technology. And I, you know, I think they've been a little bit behind other uh, uh, leading uh, uh, sectors, industry sectors. And I think from my perspective, that lawyers and legal organizations usually like to see others and other industries go first, if you will. Uh, in my experience, law firms and legal departments may not be interested in being the first. They like to be uh, the second or third to be first, if you will. Uh, so I think they like to see, you know, how other industries, you know, uh, are using uh, a tool such as AI and then learning from them first before putting their foot in the water, if you will. But I just think it's just an overall uh, conservative nature of the legal profession. Great. Well, let's turn now to some of your examples of other industries deploying AI. Sure. And just a few uh, examples. One of our big customers is Progressive uh, Insurance. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with Progressive Insurance. And you've probably seen commercials of Flo, uh, who is uh, uh, their, their, their narrator and, and, the, and the person who is their, the public, public facing persona of, uh, of Progressive. Anyhow, Progressive used Microsoft technology to create a chatbot known as Flow, the chatbot to better connect uh, with their customers. We're also seeing opportunities uh, where Microsoft customers, especially in the automotive space, uh, are using uh, our solutions to help with autonomous vehicles or connected cars. And when you think about uh, connected cars or autonomous vehicles, that's premised upon using AI solutions and big data. We've also seen um, opportunities with our healthcare customers uh, to use our AI solutions uh, to help uh, diagnose um, treatment plans and, and issues, medical issues uh, for their patients and to provide them with, uh, with, with better care. And that's just gonna get better over a period of time. When you move to the legal industry, you know, as Owen noted, yes, the legal industry has been very conservative uh, traditionally. Um, here are some recent headlines uh, regarding uh, AI in the legal industry. My favorite headline is this headline that this robot will handle your divorce uh, free of charge. But, but I think there is some trepidation uh, regarding AI in the legal industry. Um, also, because I think there are some concerns from some lawyers out there that perhaps they will be replaced by AI or be replaced by the so-called robots, uh, if you will. And, you know, only time will tell uh, as to whether or not some, if some of these advanced AI solutions do wind up replacing lawyers for certain tasks uh, or responsibilities, right? Uh, but I do believe that AI can be a compelling tool 
to help lawyers provide even better and more comprehensive uh, legal services to, to their clients and to really practice law at what I call at sort of a higher level and to help lawyers get out of some of the routine, repetitive, and mundane tasks that lawyers have performed for so long. Um, so perhaps well, let's, just a let's few take examples. A look at a couple, let's take a look at a couple of examples uh, that you've rolled out with uh, digital assistance and chatbots within your organization. Sure, sure. And so just a few thoughts there. Uh, I know I had uh, showed a, a slide earlier of this uh, self-help tool we use in Microsoft known as Cela Web for our business clients. But we have recently deployed a digital assistant known as Lexi, L-E-X-I, and Lexi can help uh, our business clients navigate through that self-help website. It can uh, help pull, uh, pull down contracts from those self-help resources. It can help our business clients develop and initiate contracts. It really serves as a digital concierge uh, for our business clients. Another example as to how we're using digital assistants or chatbots in the Microsoft legal team is we've developed this bot, this chatbot called Zella, Z-E-L-A. And this bot interfaces with our sales and services and marketing business clients. We get the same sorts of uh, repeat questions from our business clients time and time again, uh, especially in areas regarding non-disclosure agreements or maybe questions regarding compliance or questions regarding uh, privacy-related issues. And we've developed this bot, and uh, our business clients can interact with this bot, pose various questions in key categories to this bot, and this bot will provide them with an answer. And we have seen that over a period of time, that has freed up uh, time for Microsoft legal professionals to do more mission critical work because they're not spending time answering these same questions time and time again, and this bot uh, is becoming smarter. And of course, there's lots of other potential uh, applications uh, for uh, AI in the legal industry. A company called Law Geeks came up with a uh, a buyer's guide, uh, I think it was last month, uh, which talks about and, and analyzes the various different AI solutions which are out there. Of course, we're not going to go through all those solutions and all the use cases, but what's interesting about this buyer's guide, and you'll see on this slide here of the legal AI landscape, on the bottom of the slide, they show the various different uh, use applications for AI in the legal industry. So whether it's for predictive analytics, whether it's for helping to manage contracts, contract review, uh, maybe uh, legal research. There's a number of applications where there are uh, AI solution providers out there uh, helping uh, legal organizations to get out of some of the, uh, the busy work associated with a number of these categories. Well, of course, Dennis, uh, attorneys like you and I always have to take into consideration uh, ethical and, and values-based issues. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, ethics and, and, and values are top of mind issues, especially when we're getting into this newer space of artificial intelligence. And you know, a few months ago at Microsoft, we published a book called The Future Computed, Artificial Intelligence and Its Role in, so in Society. 
there's a, a link uh, to that book which people can uh, download at their leisure. Uh, but we uh, identified six key ethics principles that you really need to keep top of mind uh, as you're using AI solutions. One, one key one is this whole notion of data privacy and data security. AI is premised upon the notion of having access to lots and lots of data which trains these algorithms to become smarter over a period of time. So you need to make sure that that data is properly protected. You also need to think about issues such as responsibility and accountability. What if an AI solution doesn't work properly and somebody is harmed or if there's a loss or a death, who's responsible in that situation? Another key value, and I won't go through all these, but just a few of these, is this notion of inclusiveness. You need to make sure that these algorithms hopefully are largely free of, 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 from biases and you want to be able to utilize uh, toolkits or tool sets uh, which uh, embraces inclusion and inclusiveness so that these algorithms are not biased. And then I think another key area also is transparency. You want to be able to, uh, uh, to know uh, how is your data being utilized uh, by uh, an AI uh, provider. But there is no doubt that ethics are a, a big top of mind issue uh, for all of us as we're using AI solutions. And I think there's a terrific opportunity for lawyers in our profession to define and try to crystallize some of these uh, ethical issues uh, on a go forward basis. Great. Well, you've teed it up about how important it is for lawyers and the legal profession to embrace digital, tra digital transformation. You've walked us through uh, three of the big issues, the, the use of the cloud, the use of data, the use of AI. Let's uh, pull that all together and take a look at some of the, the key takeaways for those of us in the legal industry. Sounds great. Uh, so first point is I would say, please don't, don't, don't fear technology. I'm, Again, I'm a little biased being a Microsoft lawyer, but I do believe technology can be a lawyer's best friend in being able to serve their, uh, uh, their clients. I think another key uh, takeaway is uh, we should all have a, a growth mindset and sort of learn it all uh, mentality associated with uh, leading technology. And so, you know, learn from others, learn from your colleagues, attend industry events, attend webinars such as this, so that you can learn more on how to digitally transform. Um, I think another key point is what I would call get help. I, I know that I need lots of help, sometimes lots of lawyers need lots of help, but what I mean by that is, you know, generally speaking, lawyers should not be viewed as experts on technology. However, under some of the ethical rules, lawyers need to understand the risks and the benefits with using key technology. So don't be shy in asking for help, uh, especially from people who are experts in the technology space. I think another key takeaway, um, and we see this with a lot of our customers, sometimes uh, our customers are already, are not using or leveraging uh, the technology which they've already bought or which they're already licensed for. So be sure to take stock as to what you've already acquired from technology providers and make sure you're using that technology to the fullest. Um, well, I'll give a Microsoft pitch in there, which is, and, and, and my own admission of guilt around this one, which is every time I take the, every time I take the time to better understand one of the uh, 
features and functions in Microsoft Word, I, it inevitably improves my productivity. And the tension is between, oh my gosh, I got to get this document out, let me just press forward, versus stopping and taking a minute to learn how to do it better using the features that your company, Dennis, has already built into that word processing platform. And every time I do, I get reminded I ought to do this more. Well, thank you very much, Owen, and, and thanks for uh, uh, identifying that. Um, that that's terrific. Um, I think another key takeaway is when you're thinking about some of these projects, I think also, in the, especially in the AI space, um, you know, you start modestly, if you will, start small pro projects, if you will, uh, and make sure that you, as, as the lawyer and the legal team, that you're defining your requirements and your needs because you know the clients best, not necessarily your IT uh, team. And also with regards to the cloud, you know, don't think that you need to go all in per se to the cloud you may be able to use certain aspects of the cloud, certain workloads, and perhaps you can also consider what's called a hybrid environment where it's partial cloud and partial on-premise. As you're moving forward and working with technology providers, uh, it's important that you trust uh, your providers. Our president, our Microsoft president and chief legal officer, Brad Smith, likes to say uh, time and time again that nowadays uh, uh, companies, especially enterprise customers, are only going to use technology that they can trust, especially in this ever-changing world where we're seeing cyber criminals becoming more sophisticated uh, every day. So it's important that you're doing some thoughtful evaluations on your own on your technology providers and take the time to do that. Get the right people involved to conduct that evaluation. Um, well, as you're and, thinking about as a technology provider to the Microsoft uh, legal team, we at Lex Machina are. Uh, uh, can attest to the fact that, that you did make a thoughtful evaluation of our legal analytics platform and the uh, benefits it provides um, around uh, litigation, uh, outside counsel selection, litigation strategy, supervising the work of outside counsel. So uh, we appreciate you walking your talk. That's great. Thank you, Owen. Um, and just a few thoughts on, on data. Uh, obviously, in order to um, uh, to really leverage data and big data, it's premised upon having good, rich data, if you will. And one thing which uh, I think we have learned at Microsoft and I know other uh, leading legal organizations is that you've got to have a really good data infrastructure. You really have sound plumbing of your data uh, and good sources of your data. And if you have that and you have sort of good sound pipes where you're getting this rich data, uh, you'll be able to make uh, more informed decisions. I think we also have to recognize that uh, although technology is wonderful and it's great, that it does have certain limitations, especially when you're thinking about artificial intelligence, right? As an example, artificial intelligence, uh, it does not equate to emotional intelligence, if you will. It doesn't have social skills. It can't uh, embrace empathy, right? It doesn't have self-awareness. Uh, it doesn't have a, a bedside manner, if you will, in terms of connecting and building relationships with clients. So recognize that technology, although it's great, uh, it certainly is not a silver bullet uh, to be able to, uh, uh, to address all of your clients' needs or all of your needs. And I think a final takeaway I would leave uh, with, with all of us, and this is pretty uh, straightforward, although technology is terrific and there's, in, there's some incredible tools out there, 
it's only good if we're actually using it in which, and if we're adopting it. If we're not using technology, if we're not trying it out, if we're not uh, using it every day as part of our practice, then we're not going to be seeing the benefits of technology. And one sort of uh, practice point I would say is that uh, if you're a leader in an, in an organization and if you want your organization to digitally transform and embrace technology, I think it's incumbent upon you and your leaders to also use that technology and sort of set the tone at the top, if you will, so that others uh, will also do the same. So those are some, um, some takeaways, Owen. Well, that's great, Dennis. Thank you. And it leads uh, right into one of the questions that we've had presented online, almost, all of a, almost a comment, which says, I think all of these tools are great, but what I find difficult is finding just-in-time help in learning about everything that's available to us. Um, and Dennis, uh, given what you just said about the importance of user adoption uh, and using help resources uh, and starting small and defining projects, uh, what would be your suggestion to, uh, to this person who's having trouble getting just-in-time help? Well, I would say a few things. Number one, I would work with your technology provider. Hopefully they've got some, some resources, whether online or I guess through the phone or otherwise, to be able to provide some just-in-time support. Uh, if not, you know, one, one other um, uh, possibility or practice which I've seen in the past is uh, oftentimes when teams are starting to use newer technology, they may appoint somebody to be on that team to be a champion and to get really develop some expertise regarding that technology and to be sort of the go-to person on the team for questions on how to utilize that technology. So maybe there's an opportunity for a teammate of this person to skill up in this area and be viewed as the sort of quasi-internal expert who can then, you know, address some of the, uh, the issues uh, for, for his or her team. Great. We got one other question, which is a, a fairly detailed one about how you use various Microsoft Office tools to do uh, intake and delegate and to track and to manage the day-to-day -day work there in your law department. And I think I'm going to invite that person to follow up with Dennis. You can uh, direct message him at his uh, Twitter handle at Dennis C. Garcia, which you see on the slide, uh, and I'm sure he'd be happy to talk to you a little bit more about those details. So on behalf of Dennis, uh, let me say thank you, uh, and myself, thank you for everyone who's attended. Let me leave you with this call to action. Our Future of Law webcasts are also provided as podcasts at letsmockina.com. We've uh, done eight of them, and now we've got this ninth one. We'll be doing two more uh, in the next coming months. And feel free to go to the Lex Machina website, download these, or encourage your uh, colleagues to do as well. So Dennis, thank you so much for being our guest here today on Future of Law 9. Uh, and we appreciate, as well, everyone else attending and participating. Thank you all very much. Thank you.